0: Welcome to another episode of the Archimist podcast. I'm your host Kimberly Ho, the millennial who finds interest in anything and everything with regards to architecture. Today I have my friend Akula Ravi with me and I hope everybody has eaten a little bit or at least isn't, isn't too hungry because as the title suggests, we are going to be talking about food with regards to architecture or its relationship with architecture at least. But before we begin Akula, could I
1: please get you to introduce yourself? Okay. Hi, everybody. My name is Akila Rabi. I am an Indian and I'm a graduate of architecture in a firm called Heed Architects um, and Pickett and Masters in South Melbourne. Um, I graduated from Melbourne Uni. Um, my passion is food and baking and studying about the origins of food and the future of food and that's about me i guess thank you so much for the introduction
0: the reason why i have you here today is just it's mainly because i find food is such a central character when it comes to a conversation and i find that it generally brings everybody together so for anybody who's curious the reason why i wanted to talk about food and architecture is mainly because in the recent times before lockdown happened <laughs> um basically i've been walking past the ice cream sections and i always see like flavors of certain cities and you would see connoisseur or magnum where they use basically architecture as images uh or as icons to depict what their flavor should be and i think it's interesting how there is that type of relationship and not to mention like if we look at social media and food presentations later on in the in the discussion food is something that brings everybody together which i also think it, it's quite nice because i believe architecture is also something that brings everybody together but before i start though akula do you think you are an eat to live person or a live to eat type of person
1: i am a bit of both because i think <laughs> it's kind of uh it's a good question because when it comes to food i think both of them play a really equal role to me it's all about new experiences and it's almost like a spiritual act so if the experience is like super captivating then you tend to sort of blur the line between the two mm. and i guess in the movie a hundred foot journey it's an amazing movie um there's a quote that says food in memories our uh, food is memories and that's exactly what it is for me mm.
0: yeah it's nice cause- what you've talked about, food is memories. I find that you have this thing called memory by association, which I think food does quite well in because um, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I walk into a room and I smell a certain scent, like it takes me back to certain things. Like Even going back yeah. to Hong Kong, I could just still smell that tomato-y sauce from one of my favorite childhood dishes, like the baked pork chop <laughs> rice. Yeah. I should have had a better breakfast today. But <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's interesting how food is always a, is what you associate it with. But I wanted to know about like your impressions about food and its relationship with architecture as well.
1: Mm, sure. Um. So I was just reading a book called "Essays on Kitchen" recently. And then I was also reading a lot about how architecture and food are closely related to memories and how they form a connection, especially. There was also another book. It's called um, An Omnivorous Mind. And it also talks about how um, in our brain we have this nerve ending called this the hippocampus. And the hippocampus is what is really important for associating our brain with memory. And it also has uh, a connection to the digestive tract so that the nerve endings can really recognize memory and sort of experiences. And what hippocampus also does is that it has a relationship with facial experiences as well. So that's how you're able to tie in architecture, memory, and food all together. And um, the book was also talking about how architecture and food, both of them play a role in mobilizing the sensory, the haptic and the kinetic dimension, dimensions of memory with combinations of taste, sound, smell and rhythms of everyday life. So say if you're walking on a street and you smell the street, you can associate it to a certain restaurant or a certain kind of food over there. And you're already able to, the hippocampus is already you know, making connections of food and memory and architecture. And I really love how the science plays into effect of architecture and food for me. So
0: yeah, earlier on prior to this conversation, like we were, you were telling me about how the food was, food and architecture was part of your thesis when, um, for your finals as well. And I think it's interesting that you've brought in about the sensory systems because uh, in architecture industries, I find that we generally design for the aesthetics quite a lot. And I wonder if we also have a certain sense of responsibility to design for other senses. Evidently, like, we've already got soundproofing walls and, like, steps so that it makes sure that you're traversing into the right places and lighting and such. But I don't think we talk about scent as much nor taste. Like, I don't know if you've seen the original Charlie in the Chocolate Factory, but I think Mm. that was quite pivotal in terms of sensory architecture because... You can lick the wallpaper to taste the (laughs) flavors and such. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I wonder what's your impression about that, like if we design for sense, like smells and such.
1: Um, I guess as architects, people have this impression that designing for sense and smell and all that has to be inbuilt within us. And when you're designing something, it automatically has to be translated into your designs. But I think somewhere along the way, we get more carried away by the aesthetics rather than the actual experience of it. And um, a lot of people are doing it sometimes voluntarily and involuntarily. And, and it's not just about the architecture. If you think about it, it's also the urban design and in the street setting and the context. And if you're walking somewhere and you're like, Oh, this place, there used to be this really nice cafe. And then you had this really nice smell along this thing. So I think, you know, the wider context also plays a huge role and not just architecture for me. Mm.
0: Yeah, I think that's really nice because it just brings that sense that architecture is very communal too and food is adding that additional layer to the communal stuff. I think like, if because you touched on landscape architecture, I know we're sidetracking a little bit, but it reminds me of when I had my other friend Eden on the podcast because we were talking about landscape architecture in a sense. And perhaps maybe it's our collaboration with landscape architecture architects knowing to put what types of faunas into the mm-hmm. environment to create these senses, which I think is quite nice as well but going back to our responsibilities and designing for other senses as well I think that the aesthetics of food is quite prevalent nowadays because you've got uh, I hate talking about it all the time but you've got the Instagram culture of like yeah, yeah, eating yeah. your feeding your foam <laughs> yeah yeah like yeah. yeah. such a pet peeve of mine but I don't know what's your yeah.
1: take on it Um, So I think that, you know, in the book and many other articles, they were talking about the musification of food um, Mm. through, and that's what Instagram is doing, because you're not living an experience, you're merely looking at what the third person is saying about what the food tastes like. And I don't want to be entirely critical about the musification of food, because I have an Instagram account that showcases my (laughs) creations as well. So it's more of a journal for me and it's my space to write about what I feel like writing. And for that, I really love Instagram. But I think completely relying on Instagram and, you know, captivating pictures of food um, to think that's what food is, is wrong because there's an added pressure on establishments to make food look super nice and interesting whereas a lot of food that doesn't look pretty nice and tastes extremely good gets sidetracked in the process. So yeah.
0: Mm, I just wonder if it's also, it's always been a habit of ours where uh, we've always prioritized the visuals and aesthetics and the presentation of food as well, because if you think about it, I, I don't know, what I was thinking when I was a kid but as babies it's like you see food and mush and such and you just eat it but then as adults we because we see so much nowadays that like we look yeah. at food like the presentation of it all I think we've just as you say like we just don't really want to eat it and yeah yeah yeah. It makes me think about like you know that talk of how children or kids sorry for stereotyping out there but how they don't like eating vegetables and I'm thinking like is it because it's that <laughs> presentation isn't done well that's why they don't want to eat it as well
1: but i guess it, it's not just the picture of it it's also the description of food that's really important i was also reading another article where they were talking about um, what makes food so interesting what sells food and what makes people want to go eat it so he was saying something along the lines of you know if you say something as crispy then people are immediately going to think that it's going to be super nice and then they're going to go buy it. And KFC, whenever they're releasing a new chicken, I'm a vegan, so I hate um, comparing anything to meat. But I was just saying, (laughs) if KFC is launching a new kind of chicken, they're not just going to call it crispy chicken, they're going to call it extra crispy chicken. So people will go and get more attached to the word. So I think what comes into play is both the word as well as the the writing and then how you the ambience i suppose so. mm,
0: And it, yeah i think it also comes down to that question of who invented those words to make that association like who yeah, invented yeah, yeah. the term crispy <laughs> um all that even sounds like if you think about uh how they market the super crispiness it's like that crunch sound to it like McCain's ads they use the sensory, it's like extra crunchy. Mm-mm-mm. Um yes. it, one of my favorite ads that I saw when I just got came to Australia back then, I was sitting in my grandma's lounge room, but I remember McCain was trying to advertise the juicy corn by having kids eating the cob of corn and tin roof and the juice <laughs> was so juicy that it sounded like the father thought that they were finally gonna break free out of the drought. <laughs> <when> it was <laughs>
1: I do agree though, yeah. Um, a lot of people started looking at dogs eating vegetables and the ASMR associated with it, and then kids were like, Oh, dogs look so cute, they love it, I'm gonna eat carrots and strawberries as well. So, Uh yeah.
0: I should probably try that method with my niece and nephews. Like i was so surprised (laughs) when my nephews like started not like eating vegetables and I look at him, I'm thinking you used to love eating broccoli okay like your mom <laughs> made so much broccoli and you ate a lot of it i mean i love broccoli so i think that's why yeah I'm me so too frustrated. yeah but i'm like you don't like it anymore what's going on <laughs> and i think like that type of sensory system perhaps like the sensory in food has also impacted the influence yeah. of how architecture is being designed right because I think when we were early on, we were talking about the flight architecture experience. So just perhaps a little bit of a spark notes for people who are listening. So flight architecture experience, I got that term from 99% Invisible's podcast on instant grammification, where they talked about how, um, was it assemble i think it was assemble studios where basically they have this sugar mill this old sugar mill so it's dismantled now and they've got this really pretty fish scale pattern wall that everybody goes into and they were talking about how people really like the aesthetic of it and they just kept taking that photo so it was that atmosphere and when you look at that photo because i ended up looking at the tags of that sugar wall for it like i could just taste the sweetness i could just smell the sweetness because of like the colors um the pastel pinks and blues and people looking so happy and of course instagram is gen- was initially brought on as a highlight reel for a lot of people before it's now used for really good resources and such and i think that eventually affected how interior architecture is um uh, design so if you look at like brunch places and such um I remember going to my with my friend to one of her promotional shoots and I saw that they designed like an Instagram wall and I'm thinking so which is more important the Instagram wall or is it the food that you (laughs) present nicely (laughs) as well so
1: I wonder what is your take on that too um I guess for me it's the food Mm. although um, the Instagram wall is what is bringing people to the food too. So it's that question about living to eat or eat to live again, because it, it it ties with that question too. So yeah. And I guess it's good business for them and it's marketing and anything is justified as long as the food is good. Yeah, that is true.
0: Yeah. I think it's, it is a smart marketing because, like, if you look at the links initially, like, you've also now got, I know it's a long time ago, but you've got, like, museums of food as well. Because people like for eating so much that, well, I don't know if there are people who just like to eat because they have to eat. But you've got people <laughs> who want to know the history of food. Uh, as well so again like there's that conversation of how impactful food can be I remember going into the Nissan Cup Noodle Museum as your colleague also have um, and I was just flabbergasted by like the queue of people wanting to experience what it was like to put together the cup noodle together i i didn't go in because a i think it was one of i was in the middle of my japan trip and i was on a semi-tight budget for um it's just to see what i can purchase and such and like the packaging and so Which kind of put me off a little bit because I just felt like it was a bit wasteful, which we'll talk about later. I do agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But it was fascinating to see how people want to immerse themselves in the food experience. And sometimes you can look at the architecture, but sometimes I find that the architecture doesn't matter either.
1: Mm Mm-mm. So, to let you on a little secret, so my undergrad thesis with food, I actually wanted to design a food museum and I was doing a lot of research as to what it would be like to have a food museum in India if I were to um, capture an essence of so much food. Mm. And I started looking at Lynn's chocolate museum, and then, you know, um, there was another one by, I think, Godiva as well. Mm. but. Um, I, I don't know why I got sidetracked of the idea of a museum, but um, I, I think it would be a really, really good thing if they could um, manage to curb the amount of plastic waste and the um, useless things that they do to market their food, for that matter. Um, it would, let me just rephrase. I think it would be really nice if museums had a very immersive experience as to what it's like from start to finish of the product and make people more interested on in their food and not just their brand so it could be a collaboration it could be um, some sort of awareness on one ingredient that's making it shine I suppose Mm. so yeah
0: it's a good point because the museum's part it's compartmentalizing I guess the process of food but sometimes I wonder if we, we do need to compartmentalize certain things like the origins and such, because you've got people now, there's that controversial topic of cultural appropriation, mm-hmm. in cooking, because for example, like I would feel like I've offended an entire nation if I publish a cooking book that isn't even my cultural background. You know? <laughs> um, and sometimes I wonder if like the concept of museum kind of does do a little bit of that kind of damage controversial thought perhaps but at the same time it's more like I wonder if doing museums can also remove the authenticity of the food experience as well.
1: I think I have something to say about this but it's not just about museums you know it's also about domestic cooking and commercial cooking for that matter. So um, when I was reading a book recently um, they were talking about how they um, met with people who were much older in age and then they were showing them, you know, processes of how people cook right now. And they were like, no, that's not how we made it. This is completely wrong. (laughs) And then they looked at food being cooked by other cultures and they were like, no, that's, that's bad. That's blasphemy and all that. So um, they were talking about how the need to reuse and use memorial knowledge. And also, you know, when you're reading a recipe and then you're trying to recollect it, but you also forget it. So when you try to recall it, it forces us to select, distill and distort some of that information. And then food is completely transformed from what it used to be in the past to what you're doing right now. And to put it in simpler terms, you know, if your mom is teaching you a recipe, um, she probably learned it from her mom or her mother-in-law and the knowledge keeps getting distilled at some point. So you're not exactly doing truth to the food, but you're merely just adding a twist to the food and talking about cultural appropriation. I do get pissed when people take recipes and then they try to say that it was your own invention and all that but I've come to realize that with shared cultures and you know with commonalities and food everywhere cultural appropriation is a gray area and it's just that food is more redefined than it once was.
0: Mm. I think it's also about whether we are being too precious about our origins at the same time skills have evolved over time because like maybe a very wrong example but like i do know craftsmanship there are certain Mm. crafts that we can never replicate because we just don't have that time to do those things anymore and i think it's the similar sense of food because um how do i put it like back then people didn't have that certain type of technology in order to create things like we can celebrate what they've done it's amazing but if you also have that accessibility now because like the internet is such a great place for people to try different techniques use different um i don't know take different essence and flavors that you've got this whole new fusion thing i don't know if that's an offensive term in the food community but <laughs> nah. but i think thank you but i think that has also shaped the way we perceive food nowadays um like the culture of melbourne because we are in melbourne right now the culture of melbourne is brunch food well brunch food is literally an umbrella term holding different types of mm. backgrounds and cultures and such that defines what brunch is and i think there's i mean yes and no sometimes i don't like it when somebody f- who is from a different background would like criticize somebody's own local knowledge of their cooking and such because i feel like who are you to say that you know everything
1: yeah exactly yeah you
0: haven't been through that experience but i think like when people introducing new recipes i mean like you can't post everything on the internet but as long as you are sincere in acknowledging like the histories and such i think that's completely fine
1: I think what they're also forgetting is that accidents can have like super nice cooking experiments and also cleaning day in your fridge can give you the most important revelations about new recipes and cooking. Mm-hmm. So um, you don't have to be so pure. I beg to differ when somebody thinks that food needs to be pure to a cuisine. I don't think so. Um, I cook based on what's available in my fridge and what's available in the market that day. So yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's being
0: creative with the resources that we've been Especially budget. Yeah. (laughs) I'm the worst when it comes to food because the thing is when I'm home alone I generally like I have one or two nights where I'm like I'm gonna go gung-ho and be like as expressive and expensive with my spending on food and then the next couple of days later I'm like I spend too much money I'm just gonna eat the minimal (laughs) basics on vegetable pasta and just like a little bit of rice and such and I think I'm all set for the time. (laughs) You talked about a very important fact about the kitchen like how cooking Mm. as well like because food evidently we don't have food we don't cook things and so the kitchen also being a very central point to architecture as well and i wonder if you would like to expand on some points of it
1: um for me a kitchen is a place where you exhibit artifacts i don't want to say artifact because artifact is not something being used but You're exhibiting something of yourself based on your culture, your personality, and it has a lot of untold stories and um, memories associated with it. For me, more than my kitchen, it's my pressure cooker that brings <laughs> me so much identity and the sort of a definition for my kitchen. And there's this book called Essays on Kitchens and mm-hmm. it was a huge eye-opener for me. So does a kitchen have to be really equipped and modern and should it have each and every space with um, smart joinery and sort of pull-out drawers to accommodate everything or does it ha- just have to be a slab, a you know, a bench, a stove and then a sink? So these two artists, their names are um, Khmara and Rosinki. And they used to travel the world on just this slab and sink and stuff that can be folded and that can be transported. And they used to cook to each and every audience. And they kind of wanted an immersive experience so people could interact with public space. But at the same time, they could showcase and um, talk about the different issues revolving around food, how do you transport food, how is food being stored? And especially when your entire concept of an exhibition is going around the world and showcasing what you can do. um, They wanted to have conversations around the ethics of food. And I guess this was a really nice art experience associated with the kitchen. So coming back to whether the kitchen has to be the center of a household, I'm going to say yes. But mm. does it have to be so big as to accommodate each and everything you need? I'm going to say no.
0: <laughs> yeah. There's this little slightly uh, unnerving topic. Well, it can be very debatable depending on who you recruit for this topic. And it's the question of do you think a kitchen is what makes a house or a home really because again like there's that concept that food brings everybody together and given that we live in an age where delivery is so popular nowadays if you live in hong kong you know that a lot of people eat takeaways sorry Mm -hmm. but it's true
1: (laughs) no it's true everywhere (laughs) yeah so
0: it's a matter of like another kind of one, perhaps is do you think future houses or even future tiny houses need a kitchen or perhaps a a redefinition of what kitchen essentials are even.
1: um So there are three points that you've touched over here. Do memories associated with the house or home have to be with the kitchen? My mm. answer is. Yes, that's a personal experience for me because um, I've grown up eating in the kitchen. I've sometimes slept in the kitchen um, and all my interactions with elders and, you know, people younger than me were in the kitchen and everything I've learned. I've even studied in the kitchen. So my mom used to be cooking and I was like, I need to memorize this part. I'm not going to be able to do it if you're not there. So I used to sketch on the kitchen slab and I used to keep memorizing multiplication tables and all that. So for me, it played a huge part of me growing up and not just my cooking knowledge or skills for that matter. So that's one part. And the second part is about the future of kitchens and homes and all that. So post-war, when many architects were trying to understand what kitchens have to be in Russia, people had different concepts of communal kitchens Hmm. and it had a lot of Um, lot to do with gender and women not being associated only with the kitchen alone. So they were trying to have a lot of concepts of communal kitchens to see how it would be like for the entire community to cook together. And even though it was not extremely successful in most public housing estates as a communal kitchen, I guess with you know, in Melbourne, Assemble and Nightingale, having a lot of rooftop communal kitchens and all that is a great idea for the future of kitchens. And I think that, you know, your kitchen at home could be something for bare essentials, but something like a community kitchen is good enough to be equipped for, you know, a large party or, you know, for your family to come together and cook and I love the idea of a future where each and every apartment has a community kitchen
0: Mm, yeah I would love that and I think something really nice about the kitchen in itself is just that it's also like you've got so much sentiments with it like I'm as similar as you because I grew up baking with my mom like we were very Mm. blessed in the apartment that we had for Hong Kong that it was big enough that we had an oven because not many houses actually had Mm. an oven it was all convictions and so I was just growing up like being with her and I think it also comes down to I know it's meant to be an architecture conversation but doesn't matter it's a springboard but it's basically about how you foster that or nurture that appreciation for cooking as well as like interacting with food because um looking at your instagram story is quite a fair bit sorry i do look through your side it's, <laughs> <I'm flattered>. um, <laughs> it's just that you you share this plethora of knowledge with the food like you making the enzymes out of the fruit peels and such and i was really fascinated mm. by that so again like I feel like people who grow to appreciate food, it comes from different influences and I think primarily is whether you grew up with somebody who is happy to show you or you will have that drive to just explore what the food community is.
1: Um, So a bit of a background. So my father um, used to run a food business, Uh, he had a food court, so we were associated with food to an extent and growing up I saw a lot of food waste and I wanted to do something about it so that's part A and part B is my mom who refuses to buy anything off the shelf so if anything is packaged she's going to be like I'm going to make it myself and mm-hmm. you can do it too and this is what we used to do most of the time whether it was an epic fail or whether it was nice we always used to experiment with something and it t- turned out to be something else but that's where I got most of my interests, and obviously, Instagram. When you know um, people, I don't want to say influencers because I hate that word, but <laughs> there are people who are doing good out there who are trying to educate people about ethical food production, how to grow your own food. In the comfort of your balcony? How do you make sure that you can mitigate food waste? And obviously, my mom has been a huge factor in making sure that I have the skill set to survive. I'm pretty sure she was shitting her pants when I left home because I couldn't cook then. I couldn't even keep rice. And she was like, oh my God, what is this girl going to do? She doesn't know anything. <laughs> <laughs> and then I landed in Melbourne, and then you you see all these amazing cafes and restaurants, and then every time I walked into one of them, the food was at least $20 for a decent portion of food, and I was like, I'm not going to survive if I eat this, and I grew up eating better food that tastes nice, so if my mom can do it, I can do it as well, and mm. that's how I started doing it, so
0: yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> I have a slight different upbringing in terms of cooking food so yeah. my dad I grew up in a very competitive family and my dad basically said look at me when I was 13 years old I can already cook for a household of seven he had seven <laughs> other siblings ladies and gentlemen so I, yeah,
1: I been know there. my father too <laughs> I know,
0: right? and so because like he said that and then some of my uh, classmates back in primary school was like, oh yeah I already know how to boil rice they were 12 years old okay i felt really embarrassed <laughs> and so that's what kind of drove me into cooking but yeah same as you like the whole brunch being expensive i have I'm still a bit scarred by this The Age article where they talked about us spending $20 on smash avocado on toast. I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, it's so bad. But I think for me, I have this habit of, perhaps similar to your mum, is that um, when I go to a restaurant, I tend to pick fruits that I do really I do like. So my comfort food is generally being, if I went to a brunch setting, it would be like a fritter, mm. if not pancakes. But okay. I... Go there because I like to eat and then taste the flavors and think. I'm like, mm. okay, I can make this at home. So how do I replicate this?
1: Exactly. Later? I'm the same as you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: So I think like it's that type of sense that it has just made us want to become better versions of ourselves, and that is by exploring with the fruit, touching back to when you say like the kitchen is the place where you have the most interaction, and. as we kind of agree on how it's kind of one of the central parts of what makes a house it's so true because if you think about it food you have the cook and then you put it out to a dining table because i don't think you would have a dining room if we didn't have a kitchen to an extent Mm -hmm. and i think then going back to our earlier conversations on the presentation of everything it's because there's so much effort condensed into one single spot that we want that effort to radiate or like shine in the best presence and therefore Mm -hmm. like your interiors matter and such um i'm not sure if you've ever watched heston's fantastic feast it it used to be one of my favorite shows on (laughs) sbs channel but heston the gastronomist i used to love his experiments with food because that's what made it so precious and valuable and it made the food experience interesting as well and i think that that's why kitchens are sometimes like so important to the way we design things um and like you was telling me about mcdonald's and their architecture Mm -hmm. and when you first told me about that i'm like really mcdonald's has has architecture
1: It's the headquarters that they were making it look really beautiful. Then there was also another McDonald's venture in Rotterdam that looks super pretty. Hmm. But even then, I was like, nah, I'm never going to support something like that. And I was also telling you about this um, term called McMansions, where you know cookie cutter houses are known as McMansions because of... Um, fast food being replicated and everything looking the same and feels the same and also it it has a negative connotation.
0: (laughs) Well that's unfortunate it's like food being an icon has unfortunately like kind of pulled architecture along with it but then if you think about it In this world, like, you can't please everybody. And so you always will have the good and bad in the architecture and such. And I think, like, coming back to food again, um, when you were touching on the uh, waste production and such, I think that's also, like, the dark side of the food industry, Mm -hmm, if you don't mind me saying so. Because, like, okay, our family has compost and such, which is great. But sometimes, like, I feel guilty because it's just that for – my background at least the type of food that my parents cook like we inadvertently do use quite a lot of things that does produce waste and like we do our mm-hmm. best not to cook too much so that therefore yeah. nothing gets wasted but i think the sad thing is that when food has an expiration date um of course a lot of things have expiration dates but at the same time um because things are so made accessible like readily accessible for us that we often do take things for granted,
1: as well. So, so I guess that the whole expiration date thing—cultures around the world had a really smart way of dealing with this by fermenting anything that was about to go bad and then preserving it and I found it really interesting and I've been taking a lot of seminars as to how to preserve food and do some lacto-fermentation because A, it's really good for the gut but B, it's also preventing food waste Hmm. and that's something I've I've gotten really immersive in, in the past few months. And the next thing is a platform called Share Waste in Melbourne that I learned about for the past two or three years. So it's a community initiative. And when you log on to the website, there's a map that shows you different people who've opened up their homes so other people can come and compost in it. And I've tried quite a few households. So, you know, you can compost flowers, dry leaves, veggie waste, and some people even accept meat. But... Um, I found one of my closest friends in Melbourne through that because we clicked instantly. We, we talked about the same things. We were on the same page about everything. And she taught me a lot about composting and everything in my house that I thought would go into waste. I've learned to compost right now. And I, if I go and meet her, I spend at least two hours in her house next to the compost bin. Not even inside the house, they're in the compost bin talking about different things, but you know she also gives me plant cuttings and some herbs and anything really. so I guess people look at waste as a really dirty thing for me. waste has already has brought two people together, and mm. I think that's a wonderful thing, so
0: yeah. yeah Yeah. that's really nice and i think that's a really good way to just close the conversation off because i know that we can talk around hours and hours (laughs) i'm getting a bit hungry myself i don't know about you
1: no i'm I'm hungry all the time
0: (laughs) (laughs) definitely i think like before we wrap up this conversation just wanted to say like do you have anything like final thoughts or messages you believe we should know in terms of food or like what or even if you don't mind me asking, what was the conclusion of your thesis with regards to food as well?
1: Um, So my undergraduate thesis was actually something to do with communities growing their own food. So um, I wanted to see how people can embrace um, growing food on uh, a domestic level on their terraces, a communal balcony or a terrace, and also a small hydroponic farm, um, a community could embrace and put together and um, for me it was about seeing how the future of hydroponics and vertical farming can get rid of malnutrition poverty and also feed the masses at the same time and I want people to understand that food is not just about taste or the cuisines or the memories it's associated with it but it's also got something to do with what you can do for others in terms of sharing in terms of spreading the knowledge in terms of eradicating poverty and making sure that some soul doesn't go to bed unfed and you know making sure that food doesn't go to waste how can you use the entire fruit or vegetable in your cooking and be more responsible I guess so it's a life lesson for me and I think that's what i want everybody to understand or acknowledge i suppose (laughs) Mm, no they're really
0: powerful words and i can't help but just say like thank you so much for being on there like on this platform and sharing your knowledge with us today it's a library of knowledge if we know how to use food properly and i'm somebody who's very big on the fact that education is power and i think everybody needs to have some sort of access to having these knowledge Before you go, do you have any accounts or handles that you'd like to share with us? I'll put them in the notes as well.
1: Oh, I follow this woman. Her name is Zero Waste Chef. And Marie, Um, I can't pronounce her last name and I don't want to butcher it, but her (laughs) Instagram handle is Zero Waste Chef. Um, She talks a lot about different cultures and preserving, fermenting, and uh, using the entire vegetable. So um, I love her cooking. And there's also another one called pasta grannies. And (laughs) I I love it so much. So it has um, grannies that are aged from 70 to 95 years old who talk about how to make pastas with nothing, just your hands. And I watch it because it's so therapeutic, even if I can't recreate it the same way that they do. I love watching that show. I mean, there's so many accounts. I think I should just probably message it to you. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, I
1: was going to yeah.
0: say that it wouldn't hurt to share your name.
1: Well. Oh yes, please. Um, my account is whisk me away. Uh, it started out as a really small baking venture back home. My my one of my closest friends. It was an overnight decision. So she she looked at my cakes and she was like, "You need to sell it. I can't let it go to waste." And then the next day she placed an order for fifty to sixty cupcakes and she's like, I'm gonna pay you and I'm gonna create an account for you and you're gonna run this business.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh, that's amazing.
1: Yeah, that was the sweetest thing that she's ever done to me. And the reason I'm I'm really thankful and grateful for her. That I'm able to showcase it. I'm I'm actually quite shy to talk about things that I really like or to showcase my food, and now I'm able to do that because of her. So yeah, that's
0: great. (laughs) Thank you so much, Akila. I'm so happy to have you on board, and thank you so much for joining. Thank you
1: so much, Kimberly. It's been so nice. I'm not supposed to be talking about food and architecture, (laughs) but I related it to food and memories and um and it's really nice to hear about your side of the memories and food and what it was like for you as well so thank you so much for that that's all right oh
0: as always anybody like if anybody has any other topics that you'd like us to talk about please let us know on instagram our posts in the making um please subscribe as well in the meantime take care everybody and we'll see you for another episode bye You can say bye if you would like.
1: Okay, bye!